pod is back. Welcome to Game Week 5 episode of Tackling the Premier League with your host, Jack Sosa17, alongside me, BJ the Germ Jackson, and Jsoob the Boob Super. It's Friday Eve, guys. How we doing? Ready for Friday. Doing good, doing good. Ready to talk about uh, Game Week 5. Heck yeah, heck yeah. Uh, notables for today, the end of the transfer market. The transfer window just slammed closed on the English Premier League, and all... If, if not all, most business is done for at least this window until January. Notable statistic for that, just before we get started on game week five. Premier League's net spin this window, 1.3 billion euros. Uh, the league with the next highest net spend, La Liga with 55 million euros. That is an incredible difference. The Premier League spending ungodly amount of money adding so much quality just to give us a great season and, and what a uh, what a season we we have to look forward to we'll start with game week five games guys uh first up crystal palace hosting brentford at selhurst park this one was uh an end-to-end battle both teams really looking for their goals early first half you know, no no goals, but lots of action. Both teams getting in and around the other team's box, putting in shots, having chances. Nothing, uh, nothing too ex- exciting, exhilarating to talk about in the first half. We'll move to the second half, where none other than the man in form himself, Wilf Zaha, with a 59-minute golazo to put Crystal Palace up one nothing. What do we think of that goal, guys? I mean, Wilfred Zaha, he's just a man in form right now, fellas. This dude can't do anything wrong, almost. Yeah, um, in 2022, only Kane and Son have scored more goals than Zaha. Incredible stuff, that. It's absolutely incredible stuff. He's got four goals and four appearances this season, scored in every, goal, or scored in every game he's played in, uh, and he just really looks on form. You know, this, this Crystal Palace team, a lot of young, exciting players. And Wolf Zaha was one that was looking for a transfer the past two or three seasons, really wanting to leave Crystal Palace to aspire to bigger heights. But now Crystal Palace really seems to be building around him. A lot of young, exciting players coming in and changing the way this team play. And they definitely look like a good side. But Brentford doing what Brentford does best, it wouldn't go away quietly, would they? Nope. And like I said last week, they had 16 points from comebacks, and they already have four from a losing position this year. Yeah, after the 71st minute, uh, Brentford had six shots on goal to uh, Crystal Palace's two, so they were definitely really, really pressing Crystal Palace there in the last 20 minutes of the game. That just seems to be a theme with Thomas Frank's team. I mean, they just simply won't go away. They, they, they're going to fight into that final whistle no matter the score, and, and it seems to be proven – Proven well for them. Just a well-worked goal by uh, Brentford. And uh, what's uh, uh, what Zaha said, to go off of that, after the game, he had a press conference, and they asked him about the, uh, the goal, and he was really upset, speaking about how Crystal Palace just seemed to uh, lay off right after their, uh, Zaha scored that worldie. They just seemed not to care and just sit back and say, oh, this 1-0 lead is enough. And Zaha did not like that, and it proved to be correct. It was not enough, and Brentford got a goal. Free header in the box for Wisa from Janelle. Beautiful finish there. Like you said, Brentford doing what they do best, tying it up one-one late. VAR checked in offsides in that in that uh, sequence. Found the player was onsides, and the goal stood. and And Brentford got their point from you know just constant putting them under pressure and and doing what Brentford does best. Pretty good starts to the season for both teams. Crystal Palace had a couple really tough games to start. They've played City, they've played Arsenal, and they've played Liverpool. So not a terrible start if you're if you're if you're Crystal Palace um, and, and Brentford as well, getting off the market and getting getting a uh, getting a win underneath their belt and three draws. It's, it's been a pretty good start of the season as well for them. We'll move on from them. Our next game of the the Tuesday afternoon games, Fulham and Brighton. And guys, I think we all had Brighton in this one, did we not? Yeah, I know I did. I mean, well, Mitrovic is really all I got to say. Dude just knows how to score a goal and where to be. Yeah, he led the championship last year, and there were questions coming into this year whether or not he could do that in the prim, and he's really shut everybody up. He's got five and five, so good way to start the year for him. 
But Fulham were outpossessed in this game, but that did not stop them from outscoring their opponents. And I think we expected that from Brighton, a team that really do well keeping possession of the ball. A 48th minute Alexander Mitrovic goal puts Fulham up 1-0, only for Lewis Dunk own goal to put them up 2-0 before the 60th minute when a penalty was given away to Alexis McAllister, and you always knew he was going to score from the spot. Uh-huh. Yeah, Alexis McAllister is a really good player for Brighton. Most likely going to get a call up for Argentina to the um, World Cup. May even start in that midfield for them. So really excited to see him playing well. Whenever Mitrovic scored, that was his hundred league goal for Fulham. That's impressive. You know, we we all expected uh, Brighton to to walk away with this game, but Fulham at home at Craven Cottage, you know, really really put Brighton through one of their first good tests of the season and. And, and Brighton just couldn't get it done. I expect a, a big turnaround at the weekend for Brighton, but I guess we'll see, right? Yeah, yeah, and there was a little bit of controversy in this one as well. In the 88th minute, Brighton is awarded a corner after um, somebody was about a yard and a half, two yards off sides that wasn't called. And it really could have changed the game um, if Brighton could have got a goal from it. Absolutely. I mean... They don't they don't bar check them unless a goal is scored. But uh, you know those lines would still have a job to do out there. Uh, and and I guess that one missed there, huh? Yeah, I mean it should have been called straight off the bat too. Anybody could have seen it. He was so far off; shouldn't even been a question. Absolutely, they're getting paid all that money to do their job, and they're slacking. Typical referees. Moving on, we'll move to Southampton, Chelsea, and this one, guys. I don't think. I don't think anyone saw this one coming. Chelsea hasn't lost successive Premier League games since Tuchel arrived. And I'm pretty sure at St. Mary's Park, they've only lost one in the last 10 or 15 visits. So they were the favorites on paper and in history. Yeah, you would think your safe bet would be to go with Chelsea on this one. I think we all chose Chelsea on this one, but Southampton had something to say for us with their young guys. Chelsea starting their normal team it looks like he went with a back four for this one yeah it looked like yes, he went he it looked yeah. like he went for a back four with this one um almost like a four four two kind of formation you know frustrating again for christian pulisic to be on the bench we'd love to see him get out in the game and stretch his legs and with the window shutting it doesn't seem like he's leaving chelsea that that is pretty depressing for us american fans but um a raheem sterling goal his third in two games puts chelsea up one nil early in the game it was a well-worked goal by Chelsea. It was well, earlier in the game, they kind of had the same kind of moves. It was Havertz to Mount, but it was to Ziyech. And Ziyech had a really bad shot. But this move was Havertz to Mount to start the play again in the penalty area, and then Mount to Sterling this time. And then the first shot was blocked, but plenty of time for Sterling with the rebound goal. No, no Southampton defender around him. He had easily like two to three seconds, and he put it away. And you definitely can't give Sterling any time anywhere near the box because he will make you pay for it. Yeah, you're right about that. But it didn't take long for Southampton to respond on their absolutely terrible-looking pitch. The 28th minute, the young guy, Romeo Lavia, puts one away. Oh, my God. It was a strike by him as well, dude. It was right at the edge of the box, and Mindy got a hand to it, but this it was too powerful because he couldn't, get, couldn't stop it. Yeah, what a way to uh, start your account as a scorer, too. He's the first player born in 2004 to score a goal in the Premier League. Yeah. That's crazy. He's balling out. Absolutely crazy. 2004. Interesting interesting to see where um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles slots into this team. He just uh, got uh, to Southampton on loan from Arsenal, so he can play center defensive mid or right back. He'll probably be on the bench and back up to both of those positions that I see because Southampton has a really good right back in Kyle Walker-Peters, in my opinion, and then Lavia is playing really well in that center defensive mid position right now for Southampton. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be tough for him to find his way in. Uh, Lavia has really looked strong in the middle of the park there for Southampton. Yeah, but it's a good bench player for Southampton. He could easily play both of those positions as a backup. So it's a great utility yep. player to, to bring into your side, especially if you're looking for depth. Just before halftime, Adam Adam Armstrong makes it two one, and that's how this game would end, guys. What what do we think of Adam Armstrong's goal? Well, it was a good team goal from Southampton. Uh, it was a deflection, so not too much to say about the goal. But they it was a good work uh, team goal 
up to the deflection. Yeah, just like you said, good team goal, and it ended a 22-game goal drought for him. So maybe that will get him going in the future. Hopefully, hopefully. Chelsea dominating possession as they normally do, as you would expect from them. Uh, just, could oh, not, yeah. just could not find it in the final third with only uh, four shots on target to Southampton's seven. Just not, just not quality enough in the final third of the pitch, uh, final third of the pitch this game, guys. Yeah, uh, Chelsea dominated the second half, had a lot more chances than um, Southampton in the second half. Boria came on, as a, looked like a good sub, had a really good chance for a header in the 82nd minute, missed it, unfortunately. Absolutely. Yeah. A decent a decent game, um, and, and love to see the underdogs get a win here. Southampton looking no more like a lock for going down. They, they look like they can – they can fight for that mid-table, upper mid-table position. We'll see how that story pans out. Moving on to the last Tuesday game, um, Leeds hosted Everton Football Club at Ellen Road. An opening goal from Anthony Gordon in the 17th minute saw Everton up 1-0 at the break, only to be pegged back by pre- first, pre- first Premier League start for Luis Sinistera, a nice left-footed shot. Right into the side of the goal. Jordan Pickford frozen. 1-1 was your final score here. What do we think of this game? I mean, yeah, he completely wrong-footed um, Pickford there. So, good shot by him. But, man, I want to talk about the little scruff we had with oh, yeah. Gordon and um, Christensen. Absolutely. You want to talk about it, Jack? Yeah, let's talk about it. Uh, Christensen goes to play the ball back to Elion Melier, and, and Gordon gives him a little bump in the back to let him know he's there. And, and – uh, Words are exchanged, and then it's forehead to forehead. Gordon went back and down, although he was uh, physically undersized compared to the big lad of Christensen. And one of the things as an Everton fan that just amazed me for the first time in years, for the actually for the first time since 2017, when uh, half the team backed up Mason Holgate in a scruff with Roberto Firmino, you see Everton players running over to defend one of their own. James Tarkowski comes in and just nails Christensen off of court. Just get away from my players. It's a beautiful sight to see your teammates backing up other teammates, and and it, and it really showed the culture is a little bit of a shift at Everton. What do we? What do you say about that scruff there? I mean, yeah, I think what Gordon did, the push in the back was definitely unnecessary, but Christensen's response was unnecessary as well. The whole thing could have been avoided if Gordon didn't do what he did, but I don't know why Christensen's got to respond like he did. I mean, you know, what? it was just a little push in the back. It's not like he pushed you onto the ground or anything. So it just could have been avoided. Stupid yellows on both parts. Absolutely. 29th minute, Rodrigo gets hurt. Seems like he dislocated his shoulder while he was pressing Pickford, which that could be a really big loss moving forward for this lead squad. Definitely right about that. He had yeah. uh, four goals and one assist, so really good in five games played for him. Really first four since it was so early. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a, one of those freak injuries almost. Um, Rodrigo goes to put up a, an arm on Pickford, and Pickford goes to put up an arm on, on Rodrigo. They're battling for the ball, and then – you know, all of a sudden, Rodrigo goes down holding that arm, and you know, game stops, and he comes off the field. Trainers just supporting that that shoulder, that arm, and it, it's one of those things you hate to see the player. Obviously, in excruciating pain. No one wants to see anybody get injured. No fun for anybody. But this was the first time Frank elected to go with four at the back for Everton so far this year. I had I had mentioned in the last podcast during the prediction point. I really hope to see the four at the back with all the the center back injuries we had and. And I noticed when we're playing in a low block, White McNeil almost played as a right wing back to double Harrison with Patterson to really keep Harrison quiet. And, and I think that that really played a part in, in Everton's defending here to keep a to keep it almost a clean sheet, not quite, but but to really keep leads at bay. Um, interesting tactics from Everton. You know, we started the game very slowly, low block defending, almost parked a bus kind of style. Really focusing on our counter counterattacking, and, and we got an early goal, which is incredible. One thing I will say: Tyler Adams picked up incredible positions throughout the entirety of this game. I mean, he got on the ball, was afforded time to turn and look, and he made passes that split lines of Everton defenders with ease. I mean, it was it was almost like watching prime. Uh, Modric play sitting in that coming deep to receive the ball turning and finding these people through it, it was it was a brilliant display from Tyler Adams he he would have been my man in the match for Leeds in that one yeah Tyler Adams is a player he's 
Definitely one to watch this season. Absolutely. 12 million pounds is what, what that gets you, and, and that's a bargain for me. Uh, one more thing I might add from this game. I, I have this on my notes here. Um, Jesse Marsh became a meme from this game, a, a picture of him pointing to his watch, signaling to the referee that Everton were time-wasting. Just an interesting t- statistic for you. Of the Leeds games, of the five Leeds games that they have played this season, the ball was in play in this game more than any other game that they've played this season. Almost nine minutes more than it was in, in play against Chelsea, and then at, at least two minutes more than it was in the nearest game. So 56 minutes total, the ball was in play. It, you could say Everton looked like they were time-wasting, but at the end of the day, this is the the most the ball's been in play for, for Leeds so far this season, so I don't, I don't really see where Marsh was coming from with that. I disagree with you. At, right after y'all scored, y'all took the air out of the ball completely. Pickford was lucky, lucky not to end up with a yellow card for time wasting in the first half, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the, the referee was seeming to be a little bit lenient, and when you're away from home, you definitely – Want to uh, want to try to take the the sting out of the game and quiet the crowd, um, with a little bit of taking his time, and, and you know trying to get retrieve the ball from the stands. But again, you know the ball is in play more this game than any other game this season for Leeds. So just a just an interesting t- statistic I'll throw there. And we'll start with uh, probably the most boring match of of the the game week five. Uh, Bournemouth hosted Wolves at the Vitality Stadium, and coming off a 9-0 loss, Bournemouth were absolutely resolute in the defending of their own net, weren't they, guys? Yeah, big big clean sheet for Bournemouth there. They definitely got dominated, Like I would say, in the first 20 uh, minutes and the last 20 minutes of the game. Wolves were handing it to them, those, and very lucky. Well, lucky for Bournemouth not to get a goal there. Unlucky for Wolves. Yeah, um, Wolves got to do better getting shots on target. They had 17 total shots in this one, and only four were on target. So you just got to put the ball uh, on the net and work the keeper. Needed to be noted, uh, Scott Parker sacked before this game. Uh, just just four games into the season, uh, including one that they beat Aston Villa on open day, um, Bournemouth decided to part ways with their manager after comments he made post-game their 9-0 loss to Liverpool, saying that the, the board hadn't quite backed him as much as he was hoping. Uh, what do we think of that sacking, and, and uh, where does that leave Bournemouth moving forward? I mean, it definitely leaves them in a precarious spot. I, we, like, we know for a fact they're going to go down, fellas. Like. But I don't really understand that sacking, to be honest. I mean, I feel like they should have just gave Scott Parker the season, see how it turns out. I feel like you're going to go down no matter what, but they can try to stay up. Yeah, I mean, whenever you come out with something that should just be kept behind closed doors like that, I can see it just because lack of respect. But I kind of agree. It's tough. Tough to be sacked off that. Sam Alderdice inbound, guys? It might be what they need to stay up. Hey, would you take this job? I mean, I don't know if I would even take this job. I mean, it's a it's a Premier League manager role. So if you if you need something on your CV, you know, I think it, it's one of those situations where you kind of you step in and you, and you say the expectation is for us to go down. So if anything other than that happens, you're seen as a hero. Yeah, I'm I'm staying I'm staying away from this job. It just it just screams. Embarrassment to me. Wolves are one, five, and seven since last April, six of which they failed to score in. My question to y'all is: Is Bruno Lodge on the hot seat? I, mean, I don't. I don't think so. It was definitely a tough start for Wolves. I, I don't see him being on the hot seat, in my opinion. Pulled up the game, so they did. Leeds, Fulham, Tottenham, Newcastle, Bournemouth. Not really that tough of a stretch there, if you ask me. Fulham is playing well. Leeds were playing well at the beginning of the season. Tottenham, good team. Newcastle, I mean, they got depth, so they got quality players. Bournemouth, they really should have beat Bournemouth here. That's really, I mean, only thing I could see. But yeah, I don't, I don't think they should sack them. Yeah, I think Bruno Lodge's uh, job security is, is intact here. 
you know, at the beginning of the season when they first hired him, they were having trouble finding the goal. Uh, I believe Jimenez was out, and, and and but they were playing well. And you can clearly see a clear turnaround with this team. You can see you can see his ideals starting to get into place. You know, you've just given him a transfer window. You, you got to let him at least have until the World Cup. If he if he can't find goals. And, you know, Wolves are just some silly number, like five goals scored in 15 games or 20 games. Then you look to maybe move on to a different manager. But at the moment, you know, Bruno Lodge, you got to give him time. It's kind of like the Arteta situation. It doesn't start so hot, but if you give them time, they can make something happen. Yeah, I tend to agree with both of you, but it just goes back to since April, which is a long time to be in this run of form. Yeah, it is. Hopefully Wolves can turn that around because I, I enjoy Lodge Ball, personally. Uh, moving forward to the Emirates Stadium where Arsenal hosted a man on the hot seat, Steven Gerrard, is Aston Villa. Um, this one ended 2-1, and it, unlike the scoreline shows, it really wasn't all that close, in my opinion. What do we say, guys? No, Arsenal definitely should have had, in my opinion, more uh, at least two or three more goals in the first half. We completely dominated the first half. Very, very frustrating to only get one goal out of that first half. Yeah, this game could have been two or three nothing early. Absolutely. I have noted, uh, you know, two or three really good chances, including Saka missing an absolute tap in on his right foot. I'll give him that. But at this level, you can't miss wide open goals of that, that nature. But we'll get to the goals. Um, shot comes off Martinez. It's a great save, but Jesus is right there to rebound it in. And, and that's just a poacher's effort. Strikers know where to be in the box, and, and he knew exactly where to be to put him up 1-0. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself there, Jack. I mean, you got that striker instinct there up front. It's just what we paid him for. And I think what uh, happened right before halftime would have dethroned Alan St. Maximum's strike last week for, uh, for a goal of the season. Absolutely. Gabriel Martinelli catches one just absolutely perfectly clean and, and a brilliant save from Emiliano yeah. Martinez to keep him out. Uh, 1-0 at the half. Should have been more, but yeah, 1-0 at the half. I was... Uh, God, I would have been going crazy if Martinelli's goal would have gone in. Yeah, that would have been that would have been goal of the season so far. But Aston Villa in the second half came out and did a little bit better. I have to say, you know, they they played a bit better, uh, but still were nowhere near the level that uh, that Arsenal were at. They did get a goal, however, off of a corner kick in the 74th minute. Douglas Louise directly from the corner kick puts it in, and and. Ramsdale was unable to make the save as he had a defender standing directly in front of him. This is the first time I have seen a team ignore the def- the attacker put on the goalkeeper. Why? Why do you think Arteta didn't instruct his men to put to put a defender in between the attacker and the goalie? I'm not sure, but that definitely should have been a call to foul for. Um impeding the goalkeeper there the rule states the rule states right here a player may not shield the ball if it is not in play playing distance for example if a player stands in front of the goalkeeper on a corner and then moves to prevent the goalkeeper getting around them this should be called as impeding that's exactly what he did he got ramsdale was trying to get around them and he was literally had his arms wrapped around ramsdale and moving with him so, so he couldn't so var made the wrong decision here absolutely justin your thoughts yeah, I kind of agree with BJ. If he would have made an effort on the ball, then yeah, I don't see it obstruction. But with how he was boxing out the keeper like he was trying to go for a rebound in basketball, yeah, that's obstruction. There's a camera There's a camera view from behind Ramsdale and the player, and you can see both of the player's arms wrapped around Ramsdale's back. and on, You can see both of his hands on Ramsdale's back. It's a complete miss by VAR. Yeah, VAR was daring England for this game, you know, by the way, you read the rule there. It sounds it sounds pretty pretty simple a simple call to 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 make. But if the player doesn't move, it's not impeding. He's moving with the goalkeeper. Yeah, I mean that that sounds that sounds like uh like they should have given it back. But it didn't take long, did it, for Arsenal to respond? And I think that is the sign of a, a truly a good team. Now the Emirates the Emirates really helped out with this goal. As soon as we gave up that uh, bullcrap goal. Uh, the volume decibel in the um, Emirates went up a notch. It was awesome. The crowd got right behind Arsenal, knowing that we can do this, we can get back in the game. And it only took three minutes later, 77th minute, Martinelli, left-footed shot, half volley, Bukayo Saka with the assist. 
Very nice. I'll say they got helped out on that on that second goal by uh, just poor defending from Matty Cash. He completely leaves Martinelli to go stand on the goal line uh, when the when Bakayo Saka is still twelve to sixteen yards out. I didn't quite understand that from him. Bakayo Saka obviously finds Gabriel Martinelli on the opposite side of the goal where Martinelli has a half volley. Emiliano Martinez gets a gloves on it, but not a strong enough hand. And, uh, and Arsenal equalized within three minutes real, real quick. And those th- a lot of those three minutes were taken up by the VAR review, so it really did not take long for Arsenal to get back into this one, did it? No. Yeah, and I think uh, Arsenal had the ball the whole time before, or right after Villa's goal leading up to theirs. So it goes to prove, again, that you're always most vulnerable whenever you score a goal. Absolutely. Uh, Arsenal showing that they can respond – and, and that they are a next level team, and it, it looks it looks to be uh, an interesting run here from yeah. Arsenal. We'll, we'll keep an eye on them going forward, as they seem to be the favorite so far. Uh, another great uh, sub appearance by Inketia. There came on, did exactly what you want out of a uh, sub striker right there, moving around, creating runs, being a problem for the center backs in the 80th minute and beyond. Really what you like to see from a backup striker. All right. We'll move on to uh, next title contenders. And, and boy, did they show their their feathers again in this one. Man- Jesus Manchester Christ. Manchester City, 6-0 winners over Nottingham Forest. Back-to-back hat-tricks for their golden boy, Erling Haaland, along with a brace from their new guy, Julian Alvarez. What did we think of this game, guys? This game ended 6 nothing, but it could have easily been 8 nothing if we would have taken – our other two good chances that we had on goal. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to argue with that with you on that one. Uh, Man City came out to play in this game and easily could have put more in if they wanted to. Absolutely. 75% of the ball in this one for Man City. Not a surprise there. Nine shots on target, six of them goals. Uh, Phil Foden was able to find Erling Haaland for an assist for the second straight game. I think he's starting to realize that all I have to do is give the ball to him and he'll score, uh, unlike the first two weeks of the season where he, he wasn't able to do that. And and also, to be mentioned, uh, this was a perfect hat trick from Haaland, left-footed shot, right-footed shot, and a header. And also, Jao Cancelo with a Jao Cancelo-esque goal, picks it up right on the edge of the box and just smashes it home. I thought the, I thought the net was going to rip off when he hit the back of it there. Yeah, I thought he wanted. I thought he wanted to take it first time, and he unfortunately couldn't do it. So he took a touch, settled himself, and boy, did he put some power behind that one. Yeah, beautiful goal. Looked like the <clears throat> looked like the couple he scored last year. You think it's you think it's taking some time for this Nottingham Forest team to gel? I mean, they, they've signed a total of twenty players now. Uh, it's obviously going to take a little yeah, bit. Of, a whole new squad. Yeah, it's obviously going to take a, a, a little bit of time, but do you think that that might be one of the reasons they're they're not uh, they put in a performance this poor? Partially, yes, but you are playing City here, and they didn't see any of the ball to do what they're known for, which crosses in. Yeah, I feel like City definitely took advantage of Rian Lodi's uh, first game in the Premier League and just targeted him a lot. Absolutely. Ten corners for City, one for Forrest. I mean, Julian Alvarez's two goals were really nice as well. His second one was a thing of beauty. If you haven't watched that, you need to go watch it. It was a half-volley left-footed strike. His first one was a right-footed, so if he could have got him header, he would have had himself a perfect hat trick as well. But those two new signings up front for Man City – really coming together right now. It doesn't look like they're missing Jesus or Sterling at all, huh? No. No. Alvarez has that striker's instinct, like you said, which will be nice not having to deal with Sterling missing a chance uh, that Alvarez converted today. Yep. Moving on, we'll move to the uh, the London Derby that took place on Wednesday. West Ham hosted Spurs at the London Stadium. You know, Conte deciding to switch it up just a tiny bit. He goes with uh, Yves Basuma to start with this one. Um, and, and I think I think it helped a little bit in the midfield, but I also don't think West Ham were going away easy. No, not at all. West Ham finally came to the play, it looked like, in a game for the first time this season. Yeah, if they would have played uh, like they did in this one to start the season, they probably would have had three points out of a couple more games. 
Yeah, Lucas Lucas Paqueta looked pretty good for them as well. Their new signing, center attacking mid. Yeah, David Moises men are starting to put it together and get back to that West Ham that we know. A little bit of uh, controversy. Called handball in the field, penalty awarded. VAR takes uh, takes forever to make a decision and decides a no pin. Ball hits off a player's face. Right decision from VAR here, guys? Well, that's how the rule reads. If it comes off the defender's head to his hand, then uh, no handball should be awarded. So, by the rule, correct decision. Yeah, I would agree with Justin on this one. Yeah, Antonio Conte not happy after uh, after the game, uh, quoted saying, in England they have to learn much more to use the VAR in the right way. You have to study very well and be more accurate. That is a direct quote from uh, Antonio Conte. Not happy. Apparently he, he came from the Italian league where apparently they used to be or different. I'm sure they have. I didn't watch much Italian football. But you know, we get to the goals. Uh, the 34th minute, uh, the new boy for West Ham, an own goal. I, I feel he had to make a play on the ball, though, as uh, Kane crossed it across the six-yard box and, and Son was lurking directly behind him. No real way out of this one for Kerr as he uh, steers it into his own net and uh, 1-0 for Spurs. But... Uh, yeah, it's rough for the um, new defender for West Ham. That's his second own goal already. So pretty rough for him. But like you said, I feel like he had to at least uh, make an attempt on this one. Just very unfortunate. Two own goals and he gave away a pin. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he, he's having a rough start to his Premier League season. But uh, hopefully he can turn it around for West Ham's sake. Uh, but West Ham actually scored a goal in this game. And it was one of their own goals. They didn't have to get a deflection, <laughs> and it came by way of Thomas Suchek. In the 55th minute, uh, West Ham find Antonio's feet, who then flicks it around the defender for an on-running Thomas Suchek, who slots it home to tie it up 1-1 with Spurs. And, and just a, a really well-worked goal and a, and a West Ham-esque goal brings them level in this London Derby. And that's how this one we finished, but not from a lack of effort as West Ham peppered Tottenham's goal there towards the end. You think they just tired out, or do you think they lost their confidence, or what was going on with Spurs there at the end? No, I think it has a lot to do with what I brought up earlier uh, talking about this game. I think Lucas uh, Paqueta coming on in the 67th minute really changed things for West Ham. He looked really, really lively out there on the pitch. He was really able to break down how Spurs like to play as they like to sit back and let you attack them, and they try to hit back on the counter. But he was really able to break it down. Yeah, Emerson helped out as well. He came on in the 85th minute. The new signing from Chelsea, the backup uh, left back. Yeah, I think that was the tactical sub for Richarlson because whenever Richarlson came on, he was just straight up going at uh, that back. Yep, and as soon as that happened, it helped uh, West Ham a lot. They started to get more attacks on the goal towards the end. A a brilliant tactical move by David Moyes and and, um, really helped West Ham Move on to the last Wednesday game, and and it'll be probably the most dramatic game of this week. Anfield hosted Newcastle, Liverpool versus Newcastle. Uh, Final score was 2-1. At halftime, Newcastle was up thanks to a goal by their debutant, Alexander Izak, in the 38th minute. Really just a a well-worked goal there from Newcastle. I believe it was Trent Alexander-Arnold gave the ball away, um, and Newcastle taking advantage, moving up the pitch. They drew uh, Virgil van Dijk out of position, and he kind of stayed out of position the whole play after that, and that's what caused um, Isak to have the wide-open uh, run right there. Uh, Fabinho was covering for Virgil van Dijk, and he had to step up to take um, Longstaff out on the edge of the box, and Longstaff fed it in right to Isak where Virgil should have been, nowhere to be found. Really questionable play there from him. Yeah, he has not looked the same defender, especially this season. Really after that Champions League final um, where he had questionable defending on Real Madrid's goal, he's, he's looked like he's lacked confidence and he hasn't been the same confident, strong defender we've known Virgil van Dijk to be. But that that wouldn't be it for Newcastle. As they did get a second one from Alexander Izak, but he was found to be just a few inches offsides for the second goal. Really, really marginal offsides call. Uh, but Liverpool got away with one there as the Anfield crowd, crowd was deflated. Well, Let's still talk about this goal though, because man, he, he sat uh, he sat Robertson down and then did Joe Gomez up to slot it behind um, Allison. So 
really good goal bearer by Isak. Just very unfortunate to be a couple inches offside. Absolutely, it was it was brilliant individual effort after receiving the pass, and um, they, he was able to uh, skirt past two Liverpool defenders. This is Newcastle's record signing at, at about at around 70 million pounds and he he seemed to be worth every penny in this one he, he looked pretty good although he did not play the entire game chris wood came on for him he still showed that he was it was a great player needed to be noted newcastle this game missing a couple starters looked very good against against one of the uh, best teams in the prim no alan st maximum no uh bruno gumarish you know they slot in backups and they look like they were they belonged and they looked like they're right there and they had a chance yeah, to win it. They didn't even start their they didn't even start their best center back in my opinion, their new signing of Boatman. Oh yes, Finn Boatman. I will say a bit of uh, praise for one of the Liverpool players. Harvey Elliott really looked uh really looked dangerous in this one. It looked like he's, he turned a corner from his earlier performances this season. He had the first shot for Liverpool on target, and it came in the 60th minute. Well, I feel like him playing that center attacking mid role really helps for Liverpool with their kind of old uh, center mids that he plays with, with Fabinho and definitely Henderson. He's getting up there in age. They don't have to do the pressing as much. The young um, Harvey Elliott, he can set the tone. He has the energy for it. He does all the pressing for that midfield. And it really seems to be helping Liverpool out. Absolutely. And it didn't take long after their first shot on target for Elliott to find Salah, who set up Roberto Firmino for a nice one-touch goal through the legs of the Newcastle defender. And that brought Liverpool level. And after that, it was just mostly Liverpool. A lot of... uh, a lot of gamesmanship from, from Newcastle taking their time on, on, on goal kicks and taking their time on throw-ins. A lot of cramps coming from them. And the, the cramps are to be expected after these these guys are playing uh, a Premier League match after playing Premier League matches this weekend. Um, but five minutes added on for Liverpool. Um, in that stoppage time, Nick Pope goes down with, a, with an injury from collecting the ball. It's down for a total of 90 seconds. Um, and in the 97th and a half, or excuse me, in the 96th and a half minute, Liverpool won a corner kick. Referee allows them to take said corner kick on the ensuing corner kick. Newcastle unable to clear. Salah pokes it up in the air. Defender goes to clear the ball, but Carvalho just too quick with it. Bangs the roof of the net. Liverpool escape 2-1 in the 97th minute. What do we think of that last minute goal, guys? I mean, I just I feel like if uh, Newcastle just would have cleared the ball out, uh, that would have been in the game right there. I just feel like the ref, since that corner happened right at the end of that 90 seconds, 90 seconds that he put on for Pope being down, he was willing to give the corner, and the ball was just never really cleared out, so he really couldn't stop the play. It was right there in the six yard box almost the whole time. So absolutely understand understand why the ref went it would let it went, go a little long. Yeah, like you said, just. Bouncing ball in the box, got to be cleared. Got to yeah. be cleared. Got to get a foot on that if you're Newcastle. And I, and I also, uh, Nick Pope was coming for the ball at one point on on one of the rebounds before Salah even touched it, he and was. the defender kicked it right into Salah, where who was able to pop it back up in the air. Just one of those situations where no one wants to make the mistake and accidentally try to clear it and kick a Liverpool player and then give them an easy pin. And and it has to be said, the finish from Fabio Carvalho was brilliant. I mean, he he really put his boot through it. Easy to sky that one way above the goal, but he put it in the roof of the net, and Liverpool escapes with three points on this one after a game where they didn't really play like they deserved three points. But that's Liverpool for you, right, guys? Yeah, he, uh, he almost skied it, for real. He hit the crossbar. Yeah, yeah, and it was another game where Liverpool went down and had to come back, which, I mean, like we keep saying, they can't keep doing that. That is not a recipe for success. Final game of the week, guys. Uh, game happened earlier today. The King Power Stadium in Leicester City hosted Manchester United on a, a brilliant Thursday afternoon game. Manchester United's coach Eric Ten Hag electing to go with the exact same lineup that's gotten them two wins in a row before this game. And uh, it proved faithful as, as they got a third in the row through a Jordan Jaden Sancho wide-open goal. Really just a bit of brilliant play from Manchester United here. They counter... Uh, they find Rash uh, find Rashford's feet. Rashford takes it around his defender. Finds Sancho. Sancho one touch around Joel Ward. Ward and just slots it home for one 0 
I mean, it was just a complete shambles of a performance in that first half by Leicester. It was awful. What, Sancho had more touches in the box than the whole Leicester team. He had, uh, what was his expected, or his goals were one, and Leicester's expected goals for the first half were like .04, so really embarrassing performance in that first half. It to be mentioned, Leicester started Wilford, or excuse me, Leicester started Ndidi at center back due to their, they did sign a new center back to replace Wesley Fofano, but he was not ready to go for this one. And he didn't, you know, other than the first half and the goal, he did, they didn't look too terrible, too shaky at the back line. And this is a Manchester United team with a lot of firepower. But Leicester not getting off the mark and, and not looking so hot this season. They seem to do all right uh, dealing with United's press, but they still didn't look good either, so, so kind of average performance from them. They didn't. One, one thing to be noted, as soon as Manchester United went one up and, and the King Power Stadium was quiet, the away end were the loudest people in the stands, and we want Glazers out. I don't understand why they continue to chant that. They literally just paid $100 million for a player today. <laughs> $100 million for a player today, $70 million last week for Casemiro. You know, the, the backing in the transfer market is definitely there for Manchester United. But uh, but uh, the the fans are still upset, and they expect more from their from their owners. And and uh, we'll see if this continues to be a theme for the rest of the season. That wraps up game week five. Yeah, we'll go ahead and kick off uh, game week six with a bright early Merseyside derby. Liverpool traveling to Everton. Jack, we'll go ahead and get your thoughts on yeah, this. Yeah, guys, you know, Everton off the back of three straight undefeated games in the Premier League. Really starting to look a lot more solid defensively. New signings today of uh, Adrisagana Gay returns from PSG for about two million pounds. And uh, James Garner purchased from Manchester United for nine million pounds. Nice midfielder boost. I really see Everton coming away with a 2 0 win in this one, guys. Contrary to Jack's beliefs i'm gonna go a two nothing win for liverpool i think they can keep a clean sheet in this one for the first time in a while and come out with a pretty easy dub remember i know where you're sleeping this weekend justin and yeah i I tend to agree with justin on this one i i would say i'd see everton getting on the score sheet but the only player that can really do that is anthony gordon in my opinion and i don't see him getting one in this one he scored in his past two i i just don't see him getting three in a row really so I got, I'm with you, Justin, 2-0 Liverpool. They get a clean sheet. We'll move right along to the next game of the game week six. It is where Leeds travel to Brentford. Justin, you want to give us your thoughts on this one? Oh, yeah, Brentford, I mean, they do well getting forward, especially uh, on the break. And we all know how Leeds can score goals. Feeling a tight one, really well contested game in this one. I'm going to say a 2-2 draw. I'm going to take uh, the Bs with this one at the GTEC Community Stadium. Always a hard place to go and get points. Uh, 2-1 Brentford here. Yeah, I, I agree with Jack on this one. I think Brentford gets the dub. I think Leeds is going to be down in the dumps, really, with the uh, Rodrigo injury. That's going to hurt him up top a lot. Uh, Banford just coming back. Last his last game was his first game back, so he didn't even come on as a sub. They didn't want to risk it, really. So, yeah, um, I see um, Brentford scoring uh, in one goal here. It's 1-0 win for Brentford. We'll move right along to where Bournemouth traveled to Nottingham Forest. Jack, you want to give me your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this is a, a, a recently promoted scrap between uh, two teams. Bournemouth coming off the back of a clean sheet after giving up nine goals before then. Uh, Nottingham Forest coming off of a 6-0 loss. I think Nottingham Forest get back on track here. I, I've got Nottingham Forest with a uh, 3-1 win here over Bournemouth. Okay. Justin? Yeah, I think Nottingham Forest come back strong too. I think it's better to get a quick game under your belt rather than sit and dwell on a big loss that they took. So I'm going to go Forest 2-0. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I see a draw happening in this one, fellas. I think Nottingham Forest is um, not really going to be themselves after that um, 6-0 beating. And um, they're going to try to come out and uh, do stuff with the home crowd. And that home crowd might help them out a little bit. But I see Bournemouth getting the, another draw here. Well, we'll, we'll go with a 2-2. Bournemouth scoring rare two goals here. Um, we'll go right along to the next game where West Ham uh, traveled to Chelsea. Justin, would you give me your thoughts on this one? 
Um, West Ham looked better this week, and Chelsea not looking so hot at all. Did just get Fafana in to hopefully secure that back line. But I'm going to go with a one nothing West Ham win. I'm going to have to disagree with you on that one, Justin. I think, uh, I think Chelsea – Find a little bit. Hopefully, Thomas Tuchel can start Christian Pulisic and he can show him that he's the player that he is. I'm going to go with 2-1 Chelsea. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Jack on this one. I think Chelsea gets to win, unfortunately. I'd like to see West Ham win, but I just don't think they have enough firepower to keep up with Chelsea. I kind of see a little shootout here. 3-2 Chelsea win. Um, we'll move right along to the next game where Fulham travels to Tottenham. Justin, you want to give me your thoughts on this one? Fulham and Tottenham, I think, ooh, this is a good one, actually. I'm going to go with Spurs 2-1, just because they're the home team. Okay. You can't keep Alexander Mitrovic out. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you play. I don't care what formation you play. The man will find the back of the net. 2-1 Fulham here. Yeah, I would love to see that, Jack. That would be awesome to see Tottenham go down and – from the ranks of the um, unbeaten. But unfortunately, I think they continue the unbeaten run they're on. I see a draw happening here. Like you said, I think Mitrovic will definitely get on the score sheet. Um, Somebody else will for Tottenham as well. 2-2. Well, for Fulham, my bad. Someone else will score for Fulham. They'll they'll tie it up 2-2. We'll move right along to the next 10 o'clock game where it is Crystal Palace traveling to Newcastle. I think in the Newcastle Crystal Palace game, I think Newcastle get back on it. And I think I think this is going to be a really good game, exhilarating two-two draw for me here, guys. Yeah, I agree with you that this one's going to be a really good one as well. Um, I like Newcastle, especially with how Isaac's come out and started this past week. Should have had two goals, but one was borderline all sides. I think I think he's one to watch moving forward especially in this Newcastle team. Uh, I don't know if they get everybody back that was hurt, but if they do, they win easily, or more easily, I should say. Um, I'm going to say 3-1. Okay, yeah, I think Isak gets on the score sheet. He continues his hot start. Um, I see a draw happening here, though. Like y'all said, it's going to be a really good game. I'm excited to see this one. But, yeah, a draw is going to happen here, fellas. I'm going to say 2-2 as well, just like the Tottenham-Fulham game. Um, we'll move right along to the next 10 o'clock game where it is Southampton travels to Wolves. Jack? Man, this is a good one. one. Southampton coming off the game of their lives this week, as well as Fulham coming, or excuse me, as well as Wolves coming off an embarrassment. You know, can Wolves score goals is the question for this one. I don't think so. 0-0 draw here, guys. Boring game. Okay. Justin? And to answer your question, Jack, I don't think Wolves can score in this one either. Um, I see Southampton winning one nothing. Yeah, it's going to be really tough for um, Wolves to score. That Southampton defense it seems to be playing pretty well right now with the new signing, Bella Kachup and um, Salusa. So, yeah, I, I see um, I see Southampton winning this one uh, 2-0, fellas. Keep a clean sheet. Oh, we'll travel to the twelve thirty game where Man City go to South uh, Aston Villa. Justin, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, I mean, Villa's going to sit in and pat the box per as everybody that plays City, but I think City breaks them down pretty well. Uh, I don't think we keep a clean sheet though. I think it's three one City. Okay, okay. Yeah, Jack. this is uh, an intriguing one. It's it's the classic possession versus counterattack one. Uh, Aston Villa, really known for their countering this season. They played best when they're able to counter. Um, Man City are just a hot hand, and, and you can't vote against them. I'm going Man City with this one. Yeah, def- I'm going Man City as well. Um, the scoreline, I kind of see what Justin's saying. I don't think they'll keep a clean sheet. I don't – yeah, let's go with Justin, 3-1 here. I don't see him being only a 2-1 game. I think Man City get one to pull it, uh, pull apart a little bit more. 3-1 in that one. So that is it with the Saturday games, and we'll go on to Sunday where it will start off a 9 o'clock game where Leicester City travels to Brighton. Justin, you want to give me your thoughts on this one? 
Brighton hit a stumbling block this week, but and I really don't think they fully recover. Um, I'm going with a 1-1 draw here. I think Vardy gets on the score sheet and uh, maybe Gross or Trossard for Brighton. The MX Stadium plays host on the beautiful south coast of England. Leicester City really struggling to get off the mark. I think I'm going to have to go with the Seagulls on this one. Getting back on track. 2-0 win for the Seagulls. Yeah, I definitely see Brighton uh, getting back on track, like you said, Jack. Um, Leicester just don't have anything going for them right now, and it's really sad to see. I see Brighton picking up a um, 2-0 win, keep the clean sheet. We'll go to the last game of game uh, week six, where it is Arsenal travel to Old Trafford and take on Manchester United. Jack, you want to start us off on this one? This is a tough one, and i tell you why. Manchester United off the back of three straight wins. Eric Ten Hag's got his team rolling, looking good, and then you have the hot hand that is Arsenal, unbeaten, undrawable, only wins. Who do you choose? <sighs> Kill Arteta's men walk in here and, uh, and take care of business. I'm going 4-0. Okay, Justin. Yeah, um... Like everything Jack just said, uh, you got an informed team with both of them. Arsenal seems to be the stronger side. Uh, I think they remain perfect on the year, 2-1. Oh, fellas, I like the way you are talking about this game. But um, I'm going to pray the night before that Harry Maguire gets the rare start in this one, fellas. Probably won't happen, but a man can pray about it. Anyways. I think, oh man, I think we draw here, fellas. One one draw. We don't get it done, El Trapper, the way I want it to. Would love to keep the winning streak going, but we'll stay unbeaten. That'll do it for game week five of tackling the Premier League. Again, if you've made it this far, you truly are special to us. We greatly appreciate you. Email us, comments. Questions, concerns, anything you want to say, talk to us. Is tacklingtheprim at gmail.com. That's tacklingtheprim at gmail.com. Hit that follow button. Leave a five-star review if you love it. And we'll see you back again next week to recap all of this beautiful game week six that's coming up. Cheers, guys, and thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for listening, y'all. Yeah, see you next time.